Welcome to the TCC Conversation Podcast. This podcast is a continuation of the conversation which happens in our church community on Sunday mornings and throughout the week. We hope that this is a good resource for you to draw closer to God and to learn more about what it means to be a part of the community of believers. This week, I have the opportunity of having a conversation with Pastor Shona and her husband, Dr. Tim Gaines. They co-preached this Sunday here at TCC. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, great to be here. Thanks so much, Grace. Yeah, should be good. Hey, Grace. Thanks for doing this. It's always fun. So again, we are using this this podcast, I guess, to kind of create space for us to continue conversations from things that are happening in our church community, um, sermons that are had on Sunday mornings. And this Sunday morning, we were talking about what it means to be a part of the body of Christ, essentially. And I think that was really great. Was there anything in particular you felt like, oh, like, I wish I had more time to talk about this thing or like, oh, that's a really good rabbit trail. But like, you know, you have to cut your losses. Is there anything like that that you wish you could have shared Sunday morning that you want to share here? Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, this is one where man, it just feels like, how do you how do you say, let's talk about the nature of the church in 30 minutes and get everyone to lunch on time? I mean, it just and I know a sermon is the thing about a sermon is it's not just talking about a topic, right? It's yeah. really prayerfully discerning. Um, how is God desiring to speak? Like, what is the message that God is desiring to speak to these people through this passage? Mm-hmm. And so every week there's so much that gets left out as you're just like discerning what that one thing is. And, um, I think this week, you know, at the beginning of the sermon, Tim's got a bunch of stuff too, I'm sure. Cause as he and I were writing together, he kept saying like, I think you need to cut that. I don't think you should add that. I feel like it already had more in it. Do you, do you agree, Tim, that we already kind of probably had more than we should have for one sermon? It was leaning that direction. <laughs> but if I were to answer Grace's question, I think it would be different metaphors of the church. That's what I really wished we could have taken the time to explore more. So there's lots of metaphors in scripture that are being used for the church. One of them is the body of Christ. And there's a lot that I think we can still continue to do because in many ways, this informs, I think, my pastoral imagination for TCC and for churches at large is not just this kind of kitschy way that we talked about being the hands and feet of Jesus, but truly the the gathered body of the resurrected Christ in the world today. And I don't mean that in some kind of a uh, just kind of silly way. I mean it as the gift that God is giving to the world. And I think that the metaphor of the body of Christ in the world needed to be explored more. And the other one that I really love that I have just come to deeply appreciate didn't have time to explore in the sermon was the metaphor of the church as the bride of Christ. Yeah, I really wish we could have done something there with that, but there's just only so much time. Yeah. One of the metaphors I wish we could have explored too, that I've really loved, especially recently and in light of talking about new, so we talk a lot about new creation reality, that the church is this new creation reality um, where God's desire to have things be on earth as they are in heaven. We see that breaking in, in amongst the church, hopefully. Um, and so I loved in the metaphor of the church as the womb of new creation, mm-hmm. right? Like it is 
the place where God is gestating, if you will, <laughs> this, this new creation birth gift that, that is being born into the world. There's so much language in John's gospel, especially think about Jesus's conversation with Nicodemus about you must be born again. And then Jesus's conversation in chapter 16 with the disciples about um, the joy that comes when a woman gives birth to a new baby that overrides all the pain of the process, right? That, that if you think about the church as this womb that is um, laboring towards, but gestating this gift of new creation that God is bringing. I, I love that metaphor. I also wish we could have talked, we, we talked briefly about um, the, you know, uh, throughout the course of church history, there being this movement of gathering and sending and gathering and sending. Well, the very tail end of that, we talked about the um, mega church movement of the last 30 years being this place, these giant gathering places mm -hmm. of um, large, large groups of, of believers um, in these big mega church bodies. But that has seemed to be given way to more missional church movements, which are much more loose networks of smaller groups that are discerning how God is at work in the world and how to join what God is up to. Um, and so that much newer missional movement, I would have loved to have given more time and space to, especially because missional is language that I find myself using quite often and, and recognizing that it does not mean the same thing to pretty much any two people. Sure. And so to talk a little bit more with the church, to have some more time to really define what we mean when we say missional in terms of the life of the church, right? What does it mean to be a missional church? Um, it doesn't mean that it's a good church, whereas non-missional churches are bad churches, right? Yeah, but that yeah. There is a distinct way of being the church in the world that we're seeing in this new missional movement. So what, so to have given more time to describe that, to give some examples of that. Um, and there are some really great ones, actually. Um, there's a, a documentary we're going to be watching with the task force tonight about the Tampa underground movement out of Tampa, Florida. If you have a chance to just Google. Um, I think the documentary is just called The Underground. Um, it's a 30 minute thing that you can watch. That's a really cool kind of example of some missional movements that are happening mm. in Florida. It started in Florida, but now are kind of breaking out all around the world. Last thing I wish we would have. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you prepped us for this question. Oh, no, I did. That's the point. There's a list of things. That, That's the point of this. The last thing I wish we could have just at least addressed a little bit more is naming the fact that the church has not, the thing we call church has not always been this gift of new creation reality. Yeah. And that for some people who were even worshiping with us Sunday morning, they have been deeply hurt by people and systems that have taken root within church life. I almost don't want to call that the church because that's not what the church is supposed to be. And yet I know that there's deep woundedness and hurt and I do wish we could have at least just named and addressed that for people who are like, wow, lovely talking about this new mm -hmm. creation reality, yeah. uh, but I got these scars over here that say something different. Sure. And that's, I feel like it's important to name and admit and confess. Sure. Yeah. I think that's I great. Think that's one of the reasons why I wish we could have discussed the metaphor of the bride of Christ more mm -hmm. is because yeah. that bridal language has a connotation of faithfulness to it. And yeah. so some of this comes from Revelation 19, where the new creation is prepared like a bride for this great eschatological wedding feast where Christ and the church are finally united as they ought to be. But that also points to this other reality that not in all times and certainly not in all places has the church been faithful to the way of Jesus. Mm -hmm. 
And so the great faithfulness uh, in that metaphor is not in the faithfulness of the bride, but sometimes when I imagine this, I imagine the church gathering for these kinds of, I guess we could call them bridal showers, these pre-wedding feasts where we're coming together. And the way I imagine us is coming together in these tattered clothes, in this sense of we probably just didn't nail it this week. We haven't been as faithful to the way of Jesus as we could have been, should have been. And yet we gather together around the faithfulness of the bridegroom who is still standing there at the altar awaiting this final wedding. And I'm astounded by that. Um, I think what Shauna you're discussing here are those times and places when the church has not been faithful, but that is met in the incredible faithfulness of Jesus to not abandon the church to its own devices in the face of its own unfaithfulness sometimes. Um, and that stands, I say that as someone who has seen the church hurt and been hurt by the church, um, to has lived into some of that hurt previously and recognized that we are still on our way to the great wedding feast. Uh, and so my hope pastorally is more that every time we gather, we're taking another step of faithfulness into the way of Jesus. Um, I think about the, the early church too. Because in Revelation 19, of course, Revelation's written at the end of the first century to a group of Christians who I think are really struggling to maintain their faithfulness to this strange, very particular, very peculiar way of Jesus in the world, because nothing else in the world operates like that. Their jobs don't operate like that. The social structures and systems and societal kinds of pressures don't operate like that. Yeah. And I here in the book of Revelation, this ongoing passion plea, please don't give up on the way of Jesus. That's what you're supposed to do as the church. And so when I hear that, it lights a fire, I think, in me to examine how I am living as a part of the church, how we are living as, a, as an ecclesial body, and ask the question, where are those times, places where we are not living faithfully as the church? Where, where are those places where we really have kind of sold out uh, the way of Jesus to this other way that seemed a little more attractive, that seems a little more expedient, that seems a little more in step with some of the social pressures that you and I experience on a regular basis. And then how do I need to reorient myself, which is what I think we did Sunday around the Lord's table. Uh, we reorient every time we, we gather together around that table, which is why I think it's so important there. That's a lot to say, I know, but you asked. <laughs> I did ask and I appreciate it. I think too often, uh, especially like now in the 21st century in North America, the distinction and like uniqueness of what makes the church, the church, like that particularity can sometimes be a little more difficult to pinpoint. Um, especially I feel like in the U S like that is something that is hard to discern. Um, and so, like, I feel like talking about the church is almost a little, like, difficult of a topic to maybe participate in. And I feel like the Sunday went really, really well. Was there anything in, like, preparation where you're like, I want to ensure I'm doing, like, justice to this articulation while not, like, alienating maybe individuals who would associate church with something that maybe is a little more, like, idolatrous is a really strong word. But, like, I think you understand what yeah. I'm asking there. <laughs> 
Yeah, you know, um, I, I think I always approach, whether it's talking about the church or any sermon, with this, I hope, big old dose of humility mm-hmm. that whatever articulation we bring, it will not be the first or the last or the best. Um, and, and then to have a lot of grace for folks, like, first of all, in fact, I just had someone ask me last week to I were at a, at a family camp and a, a younger preacher, I'm not really a young preacher anymore, but Sorry. a younger preacher than me was just asking like, how do you walk that line of feeling like you can have a prophetic voice also having a pastoral voice, like mm-hmm. how do you kind of balance that? Yeah. And one of the things that I had said was, well, you know, I feel like unless if it, unless it's convicting me, I don't know that I'm really allowed to try and convict anyone else. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like if, if it's not, um, if I feel like, oh man, I really hope this convicts some idolatrous people out there, but it doesn't convict me at all. I don't know that that's fair. And I don't know that that is really kind of filled with the fruit of the spirit. And so I always try to kind of weigh that. Um, I feel like I hope the way we presented the church is new creation reality and that wrestling with the old creation reality. That's something that I constantly am in conflict with yeah. and need to be convicted of, like where I have those modes of old creation creeping into my vision of the church and my way of relating to the church. Um, and so if anybody else feels convicted by that, well, that's wonderful news because I'm convicted too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and let's, let's then together figure out how we are more faithful coming out of this. Um, I think, you know, even you talked about, it's hard sometimes to pinpoint where the church is, is particular. Um, I, I heard somebody say, I can't remember who it was now a few weeks back. Like I'm no longer so interested about saying, Oh, the particularity of the church, the particularity of the church as much as I am about the faithfulness of the church. Mm-hmm. Um, because sometimes when we focus too much on how are we particular, how are we set apart? How are we different than, then all we're really interested in is where the line is drawn and what it means to be in the church and what it means to be out of the church when we get too like caught. And not that I don't think that there are particularities to being the people of God, but when that becomes our primary emphasis, rather than the faithfulness of the church, which sometimes might be seen in folks who don't always fit the particularity box. Yeah. You know, Absolutely. so yeah. Appreciate that. <clears throat> How about you, Tim? Anything that. Well, you know, if I, if you're asking me, I just don't know that I would situate particularity and faithfulness in those kinds of perhaps even oppositional categories. However, I think I hear what you're saying there. Uh, like, in other words, I say like, I, I'm all for the faithfulness, but faithfulness to the particular way of Jesus in the world. So all that to say, I get what, what we're saying here on those kind of uh, boundary lines of particularity. The Back to your question, Grace, I think that if I were to return to the metaphor of the church, the bride of Christ, I think part of what I would love to have done this Sunday a little bit more is to imagine myself as more of a marriage counselor in that preaching role. And there's lots of ways, of course, to do marriage counseling, but I could see myself as maybe like in this kind of priestly role that a pastor or preacher stands in a mediating role is to stand between the people and stand between God and to bring the two of them together in that mediating capacity. Now, 
I do that with as a Protestant, right? So I, I, I take a great big uh, grain of salt with this with this metaphor. But what I'm trying to say is, I look at this relationship and I say, let's hold up what's beautiful about this relationship. Let's also address anything that needs to be addressed so that there aren't barriers emerging in this relationship between Christ and the bride of Christ. And so if we're going to address anything that's perhaps out of whack, we do so not for the sake of wagging fingers, but always for the sake of repairing, restoring, renewing this relationship. So there is a a deep sense of flourishing there. Sure. Yeah. I think what I hear both of you guys saying is that the particularity is not intended to cut people out from this community, right? Like there is something that it means to be a part of the body of Christ, that we're a part of the body of Christ and not the body of X, Y, or Z. And that there is something peculiar and particular about that. But I think that word that repair is really important. Obviously, as an unmarried person, I'm not going to speak a lot about relationships, but I think too, there is like in a relationship an importance in having that communication and like acting as if something is non-existent is probably not the most healthy way to repair or maintain a relationship, right? And that the particularity of like do's and don'ts, whatever those are specifically in like a human relationship are things that like need to be acknowledged and like function within that particularity is that fair is that fair to say sure it's a metaphor so like they only take it so far anyways but (laughs) yeah I think too something that really stood out to me this is not necessarily a question just more of something I was thinking listening to the sermon was the particularity of what it means to be a part of like Trebekah community church and I know there's people who listen to this that aren't a part of our church but we are a university church and we have this great honor of like inhaling and welcoming and restoring and rebuilding and equipping people and being willing to like exhale them out that I think we have to hold our congregation a lot more loosely here at TCC than like a rural church in like West Tennessee is going to be at because people are going to come to that town and stay like we have the honor and blessing of equipping and preparing people for lots of things for ministry or for jobs elsewhere and then getting to like release them to be the body of Christ elsewhere like I think that is such a beautiful image of what it means to be a part of the church and that's also like really hard too to be like okay yeah like we had this season of life and it was really good and we are ready to bless you wherever your next season is that's a great point like we don't really have the option of spending (laughs) like it's it's just there (laughs) this morning we were talking about someone who's a really integral part of our congregation who's been interviewing with the staff of a church up in another district and we're so thrilled for him it's like this is everything that we see God doing in his life we want this for him and yet oh my gosh to imagine our church without him feels so hard yeah and I, in fact, it was at the end of the summer last year too, we had several young folks all at once who Just, were really sent gosh, to these yeah. wonder. And it's like, this is what we've always wanted for you. We prayed this for you. And yet to release and to send, I feel like that is, it's such a healthy posture to be in yeah. for a church to always be open-handed with these gifts. But then sometimes I think one of the things we probably struggle with is knowing how to really fully receive people in that younger phase of life when we've seen so many people come and go and, and be sent, how to really let them be <laughs> invite, not just let, but invite.
invite, welcome yeah. into the fullest heart of the church and hold all that lightly knowing that we, we might have to bless and send someday. You know, yeah. that's hard. That's a hard posture for a church to learn, even though I do think it is a really healthy one. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's good. That was just where my brain was listening yeah. on Sunday. Yeah, I was like, good. oh, this is a great image of like who we are yeah. with this inhaling and exhaling and mm-hmm. all that. So anything other of you want to add? Anything we haven't touched on yet? You're like, oh, wait, I really wanted to talk about this in regards to. Well, I bet we could keep you here all day talking about the church. Anything to you, Tim? <laughs> Well, I hope we at least came close to answering that question that came in from someone. Do you have to be in the building to be a part of the church? And I made a mention of it in the sermon that perhaps this question came out of the COVID reality. And I'm not going to pretend like we've just got clear cut answers on this moving forward. But I think that it's pressed us into a new place. So I've been teaching on ecclesiology, which is the study of the church, for a long, long time. And as a matter of fact, I was teaching a section on ecclesiology at the university when COVID started to begin to shut things down. And I remember even kind of making some pretty clear statements regarding the gathering of the church um, and its kind of ecclesial body. So to set a little bit of a context here, Grace, um, you, you and I read this book together. There's a, a book that a, um, a Catholic Roman Catholic theologian has written on the gathered nature of the church um, and the celebration of the Eucharist, especially uh, in the context of the kind of Pinochet uh, uh, oppressive regime that took place in Chile in the 1970s. One of the things that was so fascinating is that this body, this body of Christ, this church just kept gathering and gathering and gathering. And it was basically a perceived threat to the regime, to this kind of dictatorship. And so the governmental notion here is you got to stop this church from gathering, scatter them, get them apart from one another. And so I remember processing that, talking through some of these things, exploring some of those things, um, and even reached out to the author who wrote that book uh, at the very beginning of the pandemic. And I said, you got to help me with some of these things. Um, What does this mean sacramentally for my church, (laughs) you know, that we can't gather together? And um, we were, I think, just at the beginning points of exploring some of these things, one of the things he pointed out, of course, this is the the COVID thing is not a strategy to disappear the church's embodiment. And so maybe this will transit transition. I, I don't want to step on your toes here, Grace, but you asked us to reflect on some hopeful things uh, that we've been seeing. And maybe I'll transition into that, that even though we couldn't gather, and I really do believe and affirm that our scatteredness through COVID-19 was not a strategy to get rid of the church. But even in the face of that, even in those, the face of those realities, our church kept doing the work of the body. And we weren't going to let the scatteredness, the exhaledness of the church, uh, stop the mission of the church from moving forward. And what I began to see in some exciting and thrilling ways that I think are beginning to shape the congregation's imagination even now 
or how can we continue to be poured out sacrificially, even if we don't get a bunch of the stuff from the gathering. And mm-hmm. so it was remarkable to see people move into action and to start serving our neighbors um, around the Trevec community. We have something called the Towers, two great big buildings, 500 plus rooms of people who are living there, who many of whom didn't necessarily have the same access to food and transportation. And so here comes a group of people from the church. How do we make sure that our neighbors have enough to eat? And how can we assist in this? Um, how can I make sure that people who need medication are getting medication? Um, how can I move into service? I cannot think of a more kind of beautiful image of the sacramental nature of the church where we continue to be the body of Christ pouring itself out for the world. And part of me wants to say, let's not allow the gathering together that we can do now to overwhelm that imagination that I think the spirit was birthing in those days. So even though you haven't asked it yet, maybe I'm eschatologically preempting this a bit. Uh, That's one of the things I think I've been grateful for. Yeah, for sure. For those of you who maybe haven't listened to previous episodes, we've been wrapping up every episode asking about shalom moments. Uh, So a shalom moment, the way we talk about it with our students is that it is the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. It is the peace, which is what shalom means, peace of God that only makes sense because of what God is doing. And so we ask our students to pay attention to Shalom. We call them Shalomans. Not my name. I hate it so much, but it's fine. So we ask them to look for Shalom moments throughout the week. And then when we gather together, it's this reminder, like, yeah, we're here together in this building and we're learning and growing together. But we also recognize that the things we're learning here are reflected out in the world around us. And when we're paying attention to where God's at work, it's a lot easier to see. Got it work. So shalom moment from this week. So last week um, we got to be up in Michigan um, with the Eastern Michigan District Family Camp up there. And I don't spend a lot of time in Michigan, not familiar yeah. with it. Which my, you're with one of my dear seminary friends. Who is that? Anna Jones, Anna Nelson Jones. Oh, big fan. Cool. Big fan. Anyways, keep going. Yeah, I don't spend a lot of time. I don't know a lot of folks in Michigan like Hannah Jones or others, um, but um, my mother was born in Michigan. And so it's kind of this part of my family roots that I don't get to connect with very often. Uh, My great grandfather was a Nazarene pastor. And when my my grandmother, who is from Michigan, um, first met and married my grandfather and, and had my mother in Pontiac, Michigan. It's a very small town in Michigan, not many people know of. Um, it was under some pretty difficult circumstances all around. And just um, thinking about the, the strife and difficulty that marked that kind of early part of their life happening in the town of Pontiac, Michigan. Um, and I've never really known much about that town. I just have, have known that the beginnings of um, the beginnings of the family that then made my family were difficult mm-hmm. um, for a lot of reasons. And I got to meet the woman who now pastors the Church of the Nazarene in Pontiac, Michigan. Wow. Um, and she is remarkable. And um, there are two Nazarene congregations that both had dwindled significantly over, you know, Michigan has seen a lot of, of challenges over really decades um, as the auto industry has declined there. And um, those two churches have, have dwindled and, and had hard times and they have basically merged together to form one congregation. Now, Pastor Belinda is pastoring that church. 
She is um, a bivocational pastor. She works full time. Um, she's uh, an African American woman who uh, has felt really called to this place to really partner with what God is doing in the community and in the city. And so she just described to me like how it's it's been a challenge to step into this role, and yet um, the the neighborhood has basically started now to reach out to the church to say, hey, we we respect you, we trust you, we need help with this. Will you mm-hmm. help us? And so even as she described some of the challenges that the church has facing is facing, she feels so called to this role and feels like she sees what God is doing not only in that congregation but in the city of Pontiac and their 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 calling to that. It was it, I feel like it's a very long answer to this question, but it was such a, a shalom moment, a gift to see the town that my mother was born in under very difficult circumstances to a Nazarene pastor's daughter. And now to meet the woman who is pastoring the church of Nazarene in that same little town, the full circledness of that moment was such a gift to me. And I'm just grateful I got to meet Pastor Belinda and I'm grateful that she exists in the world. (laughs) Uh, And I I just have put her on my prayer list. I'm going to be praying that God just blesses and sustains her for all that she's clearly been gifted and called for. That's amazing. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. Anything, Tim, this past week you want to share? I think you had a really great answer, too, so I'm not going to make you do another one. But No, no, that's fine. I'll just simply say that the sermon concluded with a kind of statement to the church of thanks. And I've got a friend who has served a long time in pastoral ministry who said that one of the best things sometimes pastors can do is give preemptive thanks for a congregation, doing things like saying, hey, aren't you so grateful that we are this kind of a people knowing we aren't quite yet that kind of a people. And yet we're going to thank our way into it. This kind of gracious way uh, of calling people into a new reality. And I was so deeply grateful this week when I didn't have to give preemptive thanks for some stuff that I've seen in the mm-hmm. life of the church, which is that we are not going to, um, basically wipe the waters of baptism off, dry ourselves off by clinging to these realities that would divide the body. And I see this happening all the time. It's happening in in a kind of a large scale uh, politically and in terms of partisan politics, uh, especially in the U.S. these days, the churches kind of become monolithic in their political affiliations. And in these days, it is just becoming more and more polarized. And I have just been moved to gratitude every single time. I see a group of folks that are in the church and they'll talk to me about how they know that other people have different affiliations, but really what's most true about their relationship is this commitment that they have to be in the body of Christ together. And so these two groups are becoming, you know, as Paul describes it in Ephesians, this this new humanity. And uh, I'm grateful. I see that around the life of the church, a new humanity. I'll also say that makes me want to pray more uh, for the places that I still see people holding on to stuff that prevents the new humanity from breaking loose. But I'm grateful, really grateful for the shalom that's being poured out on the church that is doing that. For sure. Yeah. Totally agree. CCC is a pretty special place. It is. And I think it helps me believe in that new reality, (laughs) the the new creation reality, for sure. Yeah. Sweet.
sweet. Well, thank you guys for both taking time of our very busy days to sit down and record this for a second. Thanks for hosting these conversations. Awesome for me. So I appreciate it. Coming out next week. So good. Yeah, this next week. How do we discover God's will in our lives? Should be a big question. Let's do it. Big question. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks, Grace. Sweet. Thank you.